You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. O Master who loves mankind, illuminate our hearts with the pure light of your divine knowledge and open the eyes of our mind to understand the teachings of your holy scriptures. Instill in us also the fear of your blessed commandments, that we may overcome all carnal desires, entering upon a spiritual life and understanding and acting in all things according to your holy will. For you are the enlightenment of our souls and bodies, O Christ God, and to you we give glory together with your eternal Father and your all-holy, gracious, and life-giving Spirit, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Welcome back, everyone, here to Sunday Gospel Reflections of the Institute of Catholic Culture with the great radio personality, Annie Mitchell. Annie, how Hello. are you doing? Father, I'm doing great. How about you? You know, we're just blessed, Annie, that we partner together here between your amazing work with the Sunrise Morning Show and the Institute of Catholic Culture and all of these good, wonderful things. This is kind of, we're like the dynamic duo of uh, Sunday Gospel Reflection. We do it on my show in like a five minute chunk and then we get an hour on the ICC. It's pretty awesome. Exactly. All right, Annie, we got to do a a dive here because we got a lot to cover here on this Solemnity of the Body and Blood of Christ, Corpus Christi, which in the traditional lectionary was always on a Thursday because of the Last Supper, Mystical Supper on Thursday. So that so in the Latin lectionary cycle, traditionally this was a Thursday, but of course it was moved by most bishops in the United States to Sunday, as was Ascension. But Father Hezekiah will remain silent <laughs> about my thoughts about moving feast days to Sundays because. I think you all already know where I stand with this business, but so that our participants are fully prepared for what they will receive on Sunday. We got to deal with it as it comes. And so we are going to comment on the Eucharist today in light of Just never the, a bad thing to comment no, on. No, it's so. not. No, it's not. We're going to take a look at, at the, at the readings that are given to us, Annie. So give us our passages for this Sunday. Yeah, the uh, first reading for this Sunday is from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, and we're reading uh, verses 2 and 3 as kind of a setup, and then verses 14b through 16a. I think we might just read from verse 2 through 16. Well, I got the lectionary version of the reading here so that I don't, you know, trip up. You don't have your Bible? I got the Bible. Let's turn here. Well, let's get the Bibles out, gentlemen. Ladies, come on. We can do this. All right. The uh, responsorial psalm, Psalm 147. The uh, gospel, John chapter 6, verses 51 through 58. And the epistle is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. There you go. You know what? I'm going to call an audible, you know, like this. Ready? I mean, we're going to. Oh, yeah. I'm ready to catch it. What do you want me to do? Yeah, and that is, we're going to take a look at these passages kind of together, Deuteronomy 8, um, and we're going to look, why don't we read them together before we say anything, 
Okay. And then we'll take them in part, but you know, as as we normally do. But I think I think hearing them together will allow us to comment back and forth between the passages. Yeah. I really don't think they can be understood properly without one another. I don't think we can really comment on John without Deuteronomy, obviously. Sure. So we got to do. We, we'll work through it systematically. But I think let's go ahead and read both passages together, and then we'll go back and talk through everything. Okay. Okay. You bet. So Deuteronomy so, chapter eight. Deuteronomy chapter eight is where we are starting. Okay, we can go ahead and read from our lectionary things, which cuts out the middle section. But we're going to come back and do it anyways. But go ahead, chapter okay. eight, verse two and three and fourteen b to sixteen a. Go ahead. So everybody's familiar with yes. what they're actually going to hear at mass. Yes. Okay, here we go. Moses said to the people. Remember how for 40 years now, the Lord, your God has directed all your journeying in the desert so as to test you by affliction and find out whether or not it was your intention to keep his commandments. He therefore let you be afflicted with hunger and then fed you with manna, a food unknown to you and your fathers in order to show you that not by bread alone does one live but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of the Lord. Do not forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that place of slavery, who guided you through the vast and terrible desert with its seraph serp serpents and scorpions, its parched and waterless ground, who brought forth water for you from the flinty rock and fed you in the desert with manna, a food unknown to your fathers. All right, okay. Now we're going straight to John Good. chapter six. Go, that's right. Let's go take a look at John chapter six. What what verses are we going to cover here? We are starting at verse fifty one. It's a long chapter. It's a lot of it's verses. Long, it's, all, it's you know it's the Eucharist. So what are you going to yeah. do? Okay. John chapter six verses fifty one through fifty eight. Jesus said to the Jewish crowds, "I am the living bread that came down from heaven." Whoever eats this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. The Jews quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I have life because of the Father, so also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Unlike your ancestors who ate and still died, whoever eats this bread will live forever. Okay, so here's our Old Testament passage, our New Testament, our gospel. We'll take a look at, we'll look at the epistle separately than this. First of all, I want to welcome our new Members, they're coming and participating in Sunday Gospel Reflections. If you want to dive into the ICC, I just met a gentleman last night. And he says, oh, I love the Institute. I listen to these classes, these things. I said, have you done any courses? He says, no, I only do the free stuff. 
And I said, it's all free. Oh, at the man. So listen, if you're new to the Institute and you're doing these Sunday Gospel Reflections, go in and put a member, you know, put in your email for a membership. It's all free. There's nothing. There's no like paywall behind the paywall. You know what I mean? Nope. We're not I in the guess. business of packaging up the sound bites and selling Jesus to people because Jesus is free. Yes, he is. Can I get an amen, church? Amen. Can I get an amen? amen. Okay. Amen. Now, listen, Absolutely. we're going to do a little bit different t- today. So if those that are new to the ICC, I apologize. You're not getting our normal format, but we have something different. And as we're doing these two passages, we're just going to jump in and we're going to have fun swimming around in this Deuteronomy passage as well as John together. And I think we're going to, Annie's going to be asking questions and we're going to be going in and doing some, we got to go through multiple layers here. We not only have to do the Exodus layer, which is our Deuteronomy text, but we got to allow John also to influence the Deuteronomy text to allow us to see the bigger picture of God's plan for salvation, Mm. which is going to take us back to paradise in the Garden of Eden to see the, the paradise level, right? The creation level, the Exodus level, the gospel level, and then the Eucharist as we receive it in the church level. So there's multiple layers that we've got to unpack here and get our get some biblical principles down and that kind of stuff. So we're wow. going to just have a lot of fun swimming around, Annie. Um, okay. And so with that, maybe we just go back to our Deuteronomy text and get yeah. our kind of historical context of where we're at and let's see where things go from there. Yeah, let's do it. I, I mean, that's always my first question, yes. right? Just, you know, yep. what... What is, I guess it would be good to start with a little bit of a refresher on what is the book of Deuteronomy all yes. about, and then yes. where and when is this particular passage taking place? Yeah, we got, so we got to do this part quickly, but we're going to do it just so we're all on the same page. The book of Deuteronomy, well, duo means two, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the book of Deuteronomy is the, literally the second law. Okay, why do the people need a second law? Well, as I've said before, those that have done my Swords and Serpents series, you've heard me say this before. Well, when your kids disobey your commandments, right, you got to clarify what the law is, right? You didn't figure the thing out the first time, so I got to clarify. Well, Deuteronomy is a clarification of the law, um, uh, which was originally given in Exodus because of a, a fundamental problem which happened, Okay. So what's the, the first law is given is Leviticus, which itself is a Deuteronomy. It's a, itself is a second law because Leviticus doesn't come about until the sin of the golden calf mm-hmm. in which God has says, well, look, you couldn't figure out how to worship me. You couldn't figure out how to love me. I'm going to have to clarify how to love me so that you don't do this again. Okay, so the Leviticus is ultimately that, but that takes us too far afield in what we need to talk about here. Deuteronomy, second law on top of Leviticus. Why? Because after the 40 years of wonders, you say, when did this happen? Well, look at your first couple of verses. Moses said to the people, remember how for 40 years now the Lord your God has directed your journey. This is happening at the end of the 40 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's go back to the beginning of Deuteronomy to know exactly what's taking place here. Deuteronomy chapter one, verse three. Okay. Beyond the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain the this law. Well, why does he have to explain the law, right? Give the second law, Deuteronomy. Why does he explain the law? In the plains of Moab, well, because 
of what took place in the plains of Moab. So let's go back to Numbers chapter 25. Numbers chapter 25 is the end of the 40 years of wandering, almost the end of the 40 years of wandering, in which the people of God now find themselves in the banks of the Jordan again. Because they have already found themselves close to the promised land earlier in Numbers chapter 13, when they made their way, which is 11 days journey. It says at the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter one, it's 11 days journey from the mountain, Mount Sinai, to basically to where they're at in this story, which is in the plains of Moab or on the edge of the Jordan, or the, the, the edge of the promised land. 11 days journey it takes them 40 years okay why does it take them 40 years well in numbers chapter 13 we're not going to go there right now because when they got there they disobeyed and they said we're not going in because we don't think we can go ahead and conquer this land and so they end up they, they spied out the land for 40 days they end up 40 years of wandering if you want to know more about that go listen to our swords and serpent series at the icc <clears throat> Nevertheless, here we are at the end of those 40 years of wandering in Numbers chapter 25. While, the, it, while Israel dwelt in Shittim, the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. They invited the people to sacrifice to their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Now, so what's going on? Well. I don't want to go into too much detail. Again, you can go listen to our Swords and Serpent series, but they end up falling in sin, into sin, just after the end of the 40 years. They're about to go in the promised land. They kind of do what they did at the golden calf again, kind of. Wow. And so Moses says, <laughs> guys, haven't we been clear enough? This is how you're supposed to be acting. And this is how you're not supposed to be acting. So let me explain it to you again, boneheads. Okay, this is me talking to my son, saying, look, I already said it to you. Make your bed. Yes, and if you couldn't figure out this, how you're going to do it. You're going to bring the sheet up and put it on the thing. And that's exactly what the book of Deuteronomy is. It's, go, it's, it's uh, uh, Moses instructing the people in the ways of the Lord. Um, and reminding them here in chapter eight about how the Lord has, has taken care of them. He said, look, what I'm about to tell you about how you're to live your life is, is, is based upon who the Lord is. Like you realize that he cares about you. He's sustained your life for these 40 years. When he tells you to do something, he's telling you to do it so that you might live. Yes. Um, and as proof of, of how good the Lord is, he says, look, he fed you with manna. He sustained you to all of these difficulties. Don't you trust in him hmm. to follow in his ways? Okay. That's what this is all about. Okay. Well, let's talk about this manna. Um, let's not take anything for granted. What was the manna? Yeah. Okay. Very good. The first thing to do for us is go back and look at it in its original context, right? Originally wow. given to us in Exodus chapter 16. So let's just go back there very quickly. Exodus chapter 16. And take a look at how what's going on, because I think it's going to help us in John too. Mm -hmm. Look at Exodus chapter 16. 
Remember, this is just after they've come out of the promised land. In verse 2, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron. Now, when we look at John chapter 6, we're going to see a very similar pattern taking place, right, about the Eucharist. It's the reason why John's using specific words to describe what the people are doing. He wants you to be remembering Exodus. So here we go. They murmured against Moses and Aaron the wilderness and said to them, would that we have died in the, at the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out in this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And Moses said, behold, I, the Lord said to Moses, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion and every day that I may prove them whether they will walk in the law or not. Now look. There's much to say here about this text and about all this, but I'm just going to move your eyes over very quickly to verse 31. Chapter 16, verse 31. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Hmm. But it was it was sweet as honey. Now this is going to be very important for us as we're seeing manna in its in its first kind of uh, first kind of context. Now, it's it's given to Israel during this time of of wandering in the desert to sustain them in their journey to where. This is their original. They're headed to Sinai to the they're, Promised Land. No, they've already no no. It's going to sustain them ultimately in their journey to. The promised land. Yeah, the promised land. Right. Yeah. So, right. This is, and I, I, I point this out to you because manna, in its original context, is a preparation, a sustaining of their life by God, until they oh. reach the place where they're supposed to go. Right. Mm. Now, look. Turn with me for a second to Exodus chapter three. Exodus chapter three, in which Moses tells the people where they're going. Verse 8, chapter 3, verse 8, Exodus 3, 8. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land, well, this is God talking, to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk, milk and, honey. and honey. Honey. So the promised land is described here as a plain, plain, a place flowing with honey. Yeah. And so to prepare God's people for this, this, paradisical place he begins feeding them with manna which tastes like the promised land mm. yeah it tastes like the promised land there's much to kind of get into here regarding this but any i know you're going to want to ask questions through all of this stuff i'm happy to continue on but i don't want to just monologue the whole business so well should we kind of bring John into this now and and talk about why I mean what we read okay. what we're reading in the the gospel doesn't explicitly say manna I know Jesus talks about manna specifically um somewhere in John chapter 6 but not in our particular reading although he does say that he is the bread that came down from heaven no exactly this and you have that's that's a good point so let's go over we're gonna I'm gonna follow your lead here Annie we're gonna okay. jump to John chapter 6 because Again, a text without context, no text at all. And so Jesus is so nice, raining 
you know, he's coming down from heaven. And I says, no, it's in particularly in context of what was said before. Yeah. Because look, the Jews believe that when the Messiah comes, that he would reestablish or give them again what God had given them before. The whole of the uh, the whole of the kind of vision of the messianic age is a vision of a restoration of what God had given to Israel before. Now, I mean, I'll, I'll read you from Cardinal Jean Danielou. He says, Judaism had already given to the manna an eschatological significance, that is, in the age to come, right? Mm. A, the manna was to point to something beyond itself. As God had nourished his people with miraculous food in the time of the exodus of old, so would he do again in the time of the new eschatological exodus. It is most likely that this messianic hope, hitherto encouraged by prophets like Isaiah, underlies the, re the reaction of the people at the miracle of the multiplication of the loaves and fishes just prior to the bread of life discourse, right? Yeah. So if you look in yeah. your Bibles, in John, in John chapter 5 is the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, right? Mm -hmm. so they see what Jesus does in the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, and immediately they're thinking, hmm, it's the messianic age. Wow. What's going to happen now? Is God going to feed us as he fed Israel? Right? So the reaction of the crowds to this miracle implies that the people saw the significance of Jesus's action, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Right? If you look at, if you look at uh, John chapter uh, 6, verse 15, John 6, 15 says, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. What is the word wow. king, Annie? What's the word king? Anointed one. Anointed one. Yeah. Messiah. In Hebrew. Yeah. Messiah. Um, yeah. Messiah. It's the Messiah. To make him the Messiah, right? They're going to go. And how do you make somebody the Messiah? You go pour oil over oh, their wow. head and declare yeah. him that he's the king, right? So they saw what Jesus was doing as the fulfillment of their messianic expectations. Yeah. In fact, if you turn with me, to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 25, very quickly. I know you want to go to John 6 and we made you turn there, but you know, it's Bible study at the ICC and we're just having fun today. This is just going to be like a kind of a whirlwind thing, not organized. All over the place. Yeah. I'm Isaiah chapter five. Oh, sorry. Chapter 25, 25. Isaiah chapter yeah. 25 verse, verse six on this mountain. What mountain is this? Annie, Jerusalem right? Mm -hmm. The Lord of hosts will make for all his people a feast of fat things, a feast of wine on the lees and fat things full of marrow and wine and lees will well refined and will destroy on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the people, the veil that is spread over the nations. He will swallow up death forever and the Lord will wipe away the tears of all faces. What's that sound like? Revelation. The book book yeah. of Revelation, chapter 21, exactly. Okay, so this expectation that the Lord is going to provide a feast when the Messiah comes. You can pick this up also in Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, 55, verse 1 through 3. Are you with me? Isaiah 55, verse 1. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is, does not satisfy? Hearken diligently to me and eat what is good 
and delight yourselves in fatness, incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live. And so, I mean, this is, this is the kind of language that drives the expectation of the people looking for the Messiah, that when the Messiah comes, then all things are going to be made well. And part of that being made well is being able to sit at the banquet of the Lord, who is going to feed us once again. Yeah. So this is what Cardinal Jean Danielou is, is getting at. And you wanted to go to John chapter six, and we need to do that now. So watch, watch what, what Jesus does in John chapter six is that he meets the people's expectation exactly where they are. He knows what they're thinking. They seem to be thinking that they're going to be physically fed by the Messiah, right? Right, right, right. They're, but, yeah. They are in John, in the gospel of John, there's always two levels of writing. We talked about this before. The Samaritan yeah. woman, right, is mm-hmm. struggling. How is Jesus going to get that water, that living water that's deep down in the well? Because remember we said this, the, 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 the Jacob's well was deep and the living water, the flowing water came in at the very bottom of the well. Right. She's like, how are you going to get down there to get that living water? Of course, he's talking about life-giving water, right? Nicodemus, how am I going to climb in my mother's womb and be born again? He says, no, no, you missed the whole point. You're going to be born from above. Anothen has this. So always John's writing with these two levels of meaning. And Jesus is speaking with these two levels of meaning. And the people are constantly thinking in earthly ways. And Jesus is trying to get them to think in heavenly ways. Yeah? Yeah. Do not judge by... By, by human appearances, Jesus says. Yeah. Yeah. So look, look, here's what happens. Right after they're going to come and take him by force, he gets on the boat, he goes to the other side, and they find him there. And look at verse 26. Jesus answered, this is John 6, 26. He says, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs. Now this is in John. Now there's a, a triple breaking apart. Not only the people on the lower level, the people are getting the higher level. But now there's a blindness which begins to set in because they don't even, he says, look, you're not even seeing the miracle. Hmm. The miracles are given so that they might come to faith in the one who gives the miracle, right? They're not even at that level. They're simply at the feeding their their, their bellies level, right? Yeah. Okay. How is it, by the way, I, I always think about this. I'm gonna, okay, we're having fun today at the ICC, Corpus Christi. Okay. How is it? That each one was filled. I had they, their bellies were filled. Mm-hmm. Unless that when the basket came, they ate as much for themselves as they could. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Rather than sharing. Sharing. Yeah. Right? Now, I'm not going that there's a miracle of sharing. <laughs> absolute heretical nonsense. Let's be honest. My right? uh, my co-host on the morning show, he likes to say, if anybody tries to tell you that the miracle was that they shared take a bite out of his sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So look, no, but, but, but they, they, they in themselves, look at what Jesus says, not because you saw signs, but because you were filled, right? Yeah. Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So they filled themselves up, not even realizing the miracle. Yeah. And they want to make him king because I'm satisfied because I'm full right? Yeah. Do not labor for food which perishes, but for food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him has God set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent, right? Have faith in the one who just fed you. 
So they said to him, then what sign do you do that you that we may see and believe? <laughs> they didn't see the sign. See, they, they see that? Notice. Okay. That's crazy. Yeah. What were our fault? And then they then they bring it up. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Okay, I'm sorry. Did they like expect Jesus to like have the manna come raining down on top of them? Then is that I think they just, just wanted like... to eat. I think they just wanted to eat more. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe you they know? wanted honey flavored loves instead yeah. of barley loaves. Wasn't it barley loaves? Or maybe that's another account. So, I don't remember. Right. So anyway. so so the, the 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 important thing is that they are expecting the Messiah to feed them. Jesus is fulfilling that expectation. Yeah, but he's fulfilling that expectation in a way that they did not fully realize, fully expect. Okay. Yeah. And and so now we can begin to say John is writing, or John six, the 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 bread of life discourse is given in light of of this passage we're reading in Deuteronomy, mm-hmm. and in light of Exodus chapter sixteen. If you understand the manna, you'll begin to understand the Eucharist. And this is a fundamental problem is that for, for many Catholics is that we go and we, we, we focus on the Eucharist and we meditate upon the Eucharist and we worship at the Eucharist, but we, we disconnect it from its historical context in which God fed us for a purpose that Israel might journey to the promised land and receive that which God had prepared for them. So this is the next step we have to do. Okay, we have to go back and see the manna in its original context in that way. So turn with me very quickly to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua. And I hope you guys are enjoying this. This is one of my favorite kind of Bible studies going back and looking at these things in, in their proper context. Look at Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. This is right after they, they, they finally do cross over the Jordan River. They enter into the promised land. You with me? Joshua chapter five, verse 10. Circumcision chapter. Yeah, yep, I'm in verse. I'm in verse 10. Okay. Well, the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal. They kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at evening in the plains of Jericho. And on the morrow after the Passover, on the very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain, and the manna ceased on the morrow. You see that? Boom. The manna ceases because it is now fulfilled in what it was only a shadow and preparation of, namely the fruit of the land, which Mm. flows with milk and honey. Mm. Okay. Now, my brothers and sisters, I don't have time to develop this in its, in in, in its, in its, you know, with all the supporting documents and quotes things, I've done this many times, the ICC studies on the Eucharist. I'm going to take a big old leap forward for you and say this, that the Old Testament people, the Old Testament church believed that Jerusalem was the original location of the Garden of Eden. Now, by extension, the promised land, the whole of the promised land was a restoration of God's original plan. We get this, by the way, in Genesis. Turn back with me. I know we're flipping a lot in Genesis uh, chapter chapter 13, chapter 13, when when Abram and Lot find themselves, find they've come, they've come out of uh, 
Ur of the Chaldees. They find themselves in the promised land. And chapter 13, verse 10, and Lot lifted up his eyes, verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. Mm. Yeah. So just, you're going to have to just go with me here for a minute. Did the people of God understood the promised land in this way? That it was the beginning of the restoration of the Garden of Eden. It was the original location of paradise. And therefore, the fruit of the promised land was understood as the fruit of paradise. And of course, the fruit of paradise par excellence is the fruit of the tree of life. Yeah. From which Adam and Eve were to eat and live forever. And this is why, this is why in Numbers chapter 11. I shouldn't say this is why, but it's it points to the same thing. Look at this. Numbers chapter 11. Go with me. Don't give up, guys. If I'm passing, I'm, 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 I'm uh, um, moving around a lot. L- Numbers chapter 11. stand generally in the same area of the Bible. <laughs> yes, generally. Numbers chapter 11, verse 4, is another time in which they murmur against Moses and against God. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, right? They were hungry, just like John chapter six, mm-hmm. okay? Chapter five and six. Now the rabble that was among them was a strong craving and the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt for, noth- for nothing, okay? Isaiah, God's going to say, I'm going to feed you for free, right? Yeah. We ate for nothing. Come on. They were in slavery. Yeah. It's like, come no, on. Okay. Um, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt for nothing. The, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now, stress on the garlic, by the way. But now <laughs> our stre- strength is dried up. And there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Oh, God, it looks disgusting. Verse 7. Now, the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance like that of bedellium. Now, why is that important, my brothers and sisters? Turn your Bibles back to the book of Genesis, back to chapter 2 of the book of Genesis and the story of the Garden of Eden, verse 10, chapter 2, verse 10. A river flowed out of Eden. You with me? Mm-hmm. A river flowed out of Eden the wa- to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first was is Pishon. It is the one which flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedellium. And onyx stone are there. Now, hmm. let me ask you a question. How does gold end up being distributed into the into a land? It flows. Come on, California ICC friends. It flows through the rivers. Yeah, down the mountains. Which led the fathers of the church to come to a conclusion that the ground of paradise was covered in jewels. Wow. One of which was bedellium which looks identical to the ground 
of the camp of God's people covered in manna. Which is why the foundation stones, the foundation stones of the new Jerusalem turn to the book of Revelation. The foundation stones of the new Jerusalem, Revelation chapter 21, verse 19, are a whole list of precious stones. Because the foundation the ground upon which the temple of God is built is the same ground as paradise. Yeah. And that temple, what does it look like in chapter 22, verses 1 and following? It's the restoration of the Garden of Eden. The river of life flowing through, bright as crystal from the throne of God. And verse 2, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit planted again. Do you see this? Okay. Yeah. Now, now, guys, we're starting to break through a little bit here because now what you've got to do is you have to realize that the, the, the whole, the Bible is one book from Eden to Eden. Eden. Mm -hmm. And what Jesus has come to do is reestablish this very thing, which God has been trying to reestablish since our first parents foolishly threw it out. And that is that man is meant to live in paradise with God and there be fed by the Lord at the mystical supper, the marriage feast of the lamb, in which we would eat of paradise and live forever. I'm going because of time to go ahead and take a big old leap forward and tell you this. The manna, which was given to Israel in the Old Testament, is described as bedellium because it was a preparation and, and honey because it was a preparation for God's people to be restored to paradise. Mm. A shadow only of which we are to receive in the establishment of the true temple of God the church, which is the body of Christ, which is God dwelling among us, which is God's original plan in the Garden of Eden by which we would eat and live forever. And it is for this reason that Jesus willingly ascended upon the tree of the cross and said to us, eat and you will live forever. Restoring us back to that which God had given us in the beginning and for which Adam and he were cast out of paradise. Turn your Bibles back with me to Exodus. Chapter three, to ask why it was that Adam and Eve were cast out of paradise. Verse 22, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden to till the ground. You meant See? Genesis chapter three. What did I say? You said Exodus. Okay. I'm, Genesis I'm chapter three. Got it now. Genesis chapter three. Go. You, okay. Everybody. Yeah. I'm sorry. I apologize. That everybody's like, this is going ridiculous. Genesis chapter three, verse 22. Turn there very quickly. Well, look at this. I'm not going to read it again, but to realize, I'm asking you the question. Why were Adam and Eve kicked out of paradise? Why were they cast out of paradise? Most of you are going to say because they were disobedient. Well, that's part of the story, but ultimately it's right here. Lest they eat from the tree of life and live forever. St. Ephraim asked, why would our loving father not want us to live forever? And he answers his own question by saying, because if they had eaten in their fallen state, they would have lived forever as though buried alive, cast out of paradise. They would have lived in hell separated from God. God in his mercy cast them out of paradise so that one day 
in obedience, we might enter in once again to receive that which God had prepared for us, namely access to the tree of life that we might eat and receive God's life into our souls. And then death would be destroyed. And there he placed two angels to guard the way into paradise. Turn with me again to Joshua. Joshua chapter 5. As Israel enters into the promised land. Verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho. Jericho's right there at the edge, right? They just, they just crossed the Jordan River. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man stood before him with his drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but as the commander of the army of the Lord. Do you see what's going on? Wow. Just as the people enter into paradise, who do they meet? The angel guarding paradise. Thank you. And just as... Just as we are about to enter into paradise again in the moment of the resurrection, what do the angels see in the tomb? Sorry, what do the women see at the tomb? Guards. Angels guarding the way, no longer closing the entrance. No longer closing the entrance. For paradise has been restored. For us to come in now and eat again of the tree of life and live forever. The manna, the manna, I should say the tree of life, the manna, the fruit of uh, of the promised land, the Eucharist are all the same reality of God feeding us and sustaining our life. And that which was given to the Old Testament church in shadow is now given to us in fulfillment. My brothers and sisters, what we receive though, in the Eucharist, and this is going to challenge our, our Catholic audience, itself is a shadow. For mm. we still receive under the veil of bread and wine. And in the paradise, which is to come, in the new Jerusalem, which is the fulfillment of the church, we will receive with those veils lifted. Notice what John says to the churches in the book of Revelation. And then Annie. We can, uh, maybe you have other questions, but otherwise we can move on. John, uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 2, writing to the seven churches, John says in verse 7, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So to the church, which is, which is victorious, what is your prize? To be restored to paradise. And notice how he repeats himself in verse 17. He who has a, an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. Hmm. Do you see? How the church understood herself as receiving that which the Old Testament church had prepared for. That in eating of the Eucharist, we might journey to paradise itself. And when the veil is lifted, we might eat again from the tree of life. 
which is in the center of paradise, we might eat again from the gift which Jesus gives us, a communion in him, who is the only one who can sustain our life. Let me just tie all this, this together, Annie. I, I know you've got other questions. Let me just tie all this together with a quote from St. Ephraim the Syrian, who says, Greatly saddened was the tree of life when it beheld Adam stolen away from it. It sank down into the virgin ground and was hidden to burst forth and reappear on Golgotha. Wow. Humanity, like birds that are chased, took, is it chastened? Chased, chased? Yeah. Humanity, like birds that are chased, took refuge in it so that it might return them to their proper home. The chaser was chased away while the doves that had been chased now hop with joy in paradise. You gotta love, you gotta love St. Ephraim, you know? That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I just, you know, you guys, I, I just, I, maybe, I said I was gonna include that. And you're gonna, I, I just, you gotta see all of salvation history as one reality. God doesn't change his plan because man sins. God's plan for us in the very beginning was that he would dwell among his people, that heaven and earth would be made one. You know, we have a very dualistic, I know my brother, my brother talks about this all this dualistic mentality in which heaven's out there. And and then when and when when everything, when 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 we die, we're gonna go up to heaven in the clouds. And we're gonna float around out there in this bodiless state. My brothers and sisters, heaven for us for mankind, for creation, is paradise restored. It is God dwelling among men once again. That's what the book of Revelation says. It doesn't say we're going to be disembodied, kind of blasted out of our minds, kind of gawking at God. We have hands and feet and eyes and ears. I meant to talk. I look forward. You know, so many of us, we're at a distance because of stupid Zoom. Yep. We're going to see each other and we're going to walk with each other. We're going to hold hands and embrace one another. You know, and, and, and those that have gone before us, we're going we're gonna to see them again and we're going to embrace them again and tell them how much we love them again. And God is dwell, going to dwell among us again and walk in the cool of the day again. This is what heaven is. The Jehovah's Witness, the Jehovah's Witnesses actually have a, kind of have a corner on the market because because the catholics are falling short in our understanding you know yeah. they run around and don't get me wrong the jehovah's witnesses are crazy but they believe that 144,000 will go up to they're dualistic they get to go yeah. up to heaven when the rest of the people dwell on kind of para, on on earth in a paradisical Earthly state paradise kind of thing <laughs> they're, yeah. the, they're actually the dualists yeah. this is completely contrary to the catholic faith but unfortunately, most Catholics don't have the Catholic faith on this point. Look at what, look in the book of Revelation, what, what it says. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. And we could, you had to read the whole of chapter 21, okay? But yeah. chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Why is the sea no more? Why is the sea no more? Because the sea is the place where, where people die, right? Noah, at the time of the flood, all those people died in the waters. Pharaoh was drowned in the waters. 
in baptism, our, our old, the old man dies in the woods, it drowned the woods, the, the waters are the place of, of the burial ground. The sea was no more. And I saw, verse 2, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will, and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them. In, this, in, the, in the book of Revelation, heaven and earth collide yeah. and become one. And the whole of the earth is divinized, filled with the life of God. And this is, this is the concept we have to have, uh, understand. This is God's original plan for man in paradise and is, our, is our, his plan for us today. It is why we begin to see the transformation of all of this in the Eucharistic sacrifice of the church. What happens in the altar with the Eucharist is only the beginning. It is a seed of the transformation of all aspects of this world. To become sacramentally transformed by the grace of God. To be divinized and lifted up so that the things of man might become the things of God once more. Okay. Wow. Okay. Now I'm trying to put all of this together with the second reading. Okay. From First Corinthians. Yeah. And we're probably totally out of time. So we have to do this fast, Annie. Go ahead. I think we're okay. All right. We're okay. All right. Paul writes, brothers and sisters, this is first Corinthians well, uh, chapter 10. Yes. Thank you. First, first yeah. let's read we've gone all over the bible today let's uh let's let's get our bearings again okay so first corinthians chapter 10 yeah and this is verses 16 and 17 yeah and then i'm gonna try to put it together in my I head and first, you're gonna I you're gonna tell me if i get it right this is good stuff i know oh okay. this is so beautiful all right go ahead brothers and sisters the cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of christ the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because the loaf of bread is one. We, though many, are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. So I was just thinking, Father, you were you were saying you were yeah. talking about the the divinizing that yeah. we are all and and Jesus in in John six talks about how those who eat his flesh and drink his blood will remain. It says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will remain in me and I in him. So we are united with God. And so if we're talking about this from like a heavenly standpoint, we've been united with God. So if all of us as individuals have been united with God, then we're all united as well. Mm -hmm. So when we are partaking in Holy communion, Hold here, on, don't make me, please don't ask me if I can eat your finger. And <laughs> is that where you're going with this? <laughs> no, I was just going to say, like, is this so this idea of us being like the mystical body of Christ, like yes. that's a prefigurement of what we're going to have in heaven as well, because we all well, will like literally be one. No. OK, I, I said that. OK, I lost like half my audience by saying I was going to eat your finger. But but no, there's something actually true about that. The, when you when you are when you are speaking as a Christian. When you are communicating communion, when you are communicating with others and others are communicating with you, can we say that the other is receiving the Eucharistic gifts? Hmm. Not, not like you receive 
at Holy Communion. No, but but there's there's something to be meditated upon here. And and just to just to, I'm gonna stop that for a second, and I'm gonna go backwards here, and then I'm gonna come back to that. I'm gonna go backwards here to the manna, because what he what what Saint Paul says in First Corinthians chapter ten is is mind blowing. I've said this before. But we got all the new people participating. I'm gonna say it right here. Look at this chapter ten verse one. I want you to know, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea and all ate the same supernatural food and all drank the same supernatural drink for they drank from the supernatural rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. Now he's talking here about the water which flowed from the rock. But by extension, he's also talking about the manna. What supernatural food? St. Paul is saying that Israel received Jesus when they drank from the rock and when they ate the, the, the manna. Wow. Yeah, uh, you're going. Father has guys. You're going too far. I'm, no, no. You test Saint Paul on this one. You said, "What's Saint Paul saying here? Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Because when we're talking about typology, foreshadowing, we're talking about a real participation in. Yes, that a shadow is a, a, a type, a preparation which God gives us is not simply like a, a, a likeness or like a similarity. No, it's a, it's a. There's a real participation. Cardinal Jean Danielou, listen to what he, listen to what Danielou says. I love this book, by the way. Somebody just wrote me an email and saying, what, what do you recommend for typology, a book on typology? <laughs> and I'd say, you want to really jump in big time, you got to go to Danielou, yeah. um, the Bible and the liturgy. So what does he say? Listen to this. The sacraments carry on in our midst the great works of God in the old and new. For example, the flood, the passion, and baptism show us the same divine activity. It is God who saved Israel by giving them manna, and it is God who saves the new Israel, us, by giving us the Eucharist. It is God who sustains life and communicates that sustenance through material things. The manna participated in the reality of the promised fruit of the promised land, the fruit of the promised land participated in the reality of the Eucharistic gifts, which are given by the tree of life in the midst of paradise. Wow. Now, you, by receiving the gift of communion with God, are the living tabernacle of the Eucharistic gifts. And I don't mean just, oh, I received communion and therefore it's inside of me. You are transformed by this gift into the living tabernacle of the living God. What the Eucharist, what the Eucharist is under veils is enfleshed in you as the veil is lifted and you communicate that living God to others whom you encounter. Now that's something to meditate on. Yeah. Yeah. Can I give you a quote? Yeah, go ahead. St. Ambrose. Go. This blew my mind. He said, thus, every soul which receives the bread which comes down from heaven is a house of bread, the bread of Christ, being nourished and having its heart strengthened by support of the heavenly bread with which dwells in it. 
Hence, Paul says, we are all one bread. Every faithful soul is Bethlehem, Mm -hmm. just as that is called Jerusalem, which has the peace and tranquility of the Jerusalem on high, which is in heaven. That is the true bread, which after it was broken into bits, has fed all humanity. Of course, Bethlehem meaning house of bread. We're all little Bethlehems. Like, that's incredible. If we haven't said something that's blown your mind today, um, you have a choice. Either abandon the Institute of Catholic Culture (laughs) and go somewhere else. Because you're you're way above everybody else here. (laughs) Call me up and we'll hire you to teach at the ICC. (laughs) Because this stuff is good stuff. And I hope, I hope that it it will transform your experience of the Divine Liturgy on Sunday reception of the Holy Eucharist and will transform then your being sent out to be that living tabernacle in our society, in our homes, in the workplace, to be that transformative person that God is calling you to be. And here, actually, I can say in the, in the light of the Ascension, the Feast of Ascension and Pentecost, this is the mission of the Christian. And if we understand that identity and that mission, once again, we find that vocation, which God is calling us to, uh, then we will transform our families, our workplaces, our society. And I hope that the, I hope the work of the Institute has been a part of that and a, a, a gift to help you begin to discern that, those gifts in your life and to be able to then go out into your families and workplaces and, and society and, and, and be what God has called you to be. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.